Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I am Matt Hurz with FasterSkier.com. You might have thought this day would never come where we finally have recorded a mailbag episode. We brought Sadie Bjornsson on from her very professional workplace in Anchorage, and we have answered uh, at least a couple of dozen questions with uh, co-host Devin Kershaw. So we'll be back in a minute, and then we'll be back in another week to get you some podcasts from World Championships, which we are getting very excited about. Stand by. We'll be back in a minute. This episode of The Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by Mount Bachelor Nordic Center. Located outside beautiful Bend, Oregon, the Mount Bachelor Nordic Center has 56 kilometers of daily groomed Nordic trails, with a season that typically runs late November until the end of May, Mount Bachelor has one of the longest Nordic seasons in North America. The Nordic Center hosts a full rental fleet, various instructional classes for all ages and abilities, an on-site retail store, and the Cozy Nordic Cafe. So be sure to check out this winter wonderland this season. To learn more about tickets, passes, and resort amenities, go to mtbachelor.com. What's up, dude? New York Times uh, writer. Now it's like you can't be walking around like a bum. Nope, I'm wearing a fucking collared shirt. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I had a I had a girl at school at one of the 24 year olds I studied with. She said I. She asked me how old I was. I'm like, how old do you think I am? She said 27. <laughs> that made my whole life. <laughs> like, like I can die. I hope I die of a heart attack tonight. Definitely not a day <laughs> older than 29. Well, fuck. See, I'll take that too, Sadie. Hi, guys. You, don't, you look a. You don't look a day older than twenty three. There you go. <laughs> Touched. I, very, I professional, very professional twenty three with your headset and the whole deal. Yeah, well, I share an office with a bunch of people, and I don't want you fools like <laughs> casting over. That's, so that's the right. That was, that's the right so, decision. <laughs> Tear in my headphones, and I know it's like a really awkward noise when you talk in headphones. Sorry about that. No, no, no. It's awesome. No, no, not yeah, at all. It's like a call center. <laughs> no, it's well. Sadly, it kind of will be a bit like a call center because Nat and I accidentally asked people to send in questions, and I think 100% of all the listeners sent in questions. So that's like we have like probably 30 or 40 questions to oh. who knows if we're going to get through them all but it's oh we are we're thrilled, we're thrilled that uh you could join this whatever this is whatever this project is but we 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 have a lot of curious people that listen listen to this and are curious about nordic skiing and what's it all about so that's a huge broad specter of questions but not not that's gonna lead this whole deal because if it's me leading the deal well absolutely we probably wouldn't even answer a single question <laughs> so, so okay so uh, is this what is this a podcast like pre-world champs or what is what's the what's the gist here <laughs> no this is um we we have uh invited you on sadie to um to answer uh our many dozens of listeners most burning questions that have been piling up and piling up like oh. the snow has been in Anchorage in my driveway for the past yeah. several months uh, and have now reached a, a, a amount where they're about to come toppling down without your help without Devin's help so we do um here here's the way I think this is gonna go so we I have made a spreadsheet there are 30 there are like 35 questions. <laughs> Um, but fortunately, um, on my um, 
on my phone, I have this app downloaded. And when I press this button, uh, whoa. Oh, okay. It, it tells you that you have to stop or something. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's going to be, um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to moderate this situation here. It's going to be like a, a U.S. Senate uh, election debate. Uh, and those who know me here in Alaska in this alternative role uh, understand that I can be, you know, ruthless. And so you guys are going to get a minute to answer each one of these questions. Um, like, and I'm thinking we'll, we'll assign, we'll I'll assign these questions to each of you, but depending on your expertise. Um, and then uh, at the end of one minute, you're going to hear that probably too many times. And, uh, and then... I was thinking like, you know, just maybe because some of these questions might uh, threaten to, you know, take Devin more than a minute to answer, which, you know, I can't imagine a scenario <laughs> in which that would be the case. Uh, but I feel like you guys should get maybe like three, you get like three chances to extend your answer for a minute if it feels like a really compelling question. But other than that, we got to stick to the timeline because Sadie, I can see, is a certified financial planner and has... Oh. No, I'm sitting in my boss's desk because he's not here. I'm not a certified financial planner. Okay. Well, in any case, she's wearing very formal attire, clearly has much more remunerative. Yeah, I do have meetings afterwards, though. Yep. She's very formal. I'm impressed. You guys, if you only saw me in this new life. And I'd probably be super impressed with your professionalism. Maybe, but it would just be laughable how extreme difference it is but okay let's get to the questions that's true, that's true. like my life is also extremely like i can't even <laughs> I, I i can't even believe that i it's almost like i never skied before i guess i shouldn't say that if yeah gonna answer lots of questions but like yeah if i had an athlete follow me for a day first of all they wouldn't understand a single word <laughs> that was spoken all day and second Same. of all they'd be like oh my god like yeah <laughs> yeah I do actually want to take a second here because I mean, I feel like any, if, if you are listening to this podcast, uh, you already know our guest, uh, Sadie Mobe Bjornsson. Is that, are you, or other way around or what? Um, well, I switched, <laughs> this is confusing. When I was a ski racer, I was Sadie Mobe Bjornsson because I forgot to think forward to the fact, to the time when I would really change my name. And now I'm Sadie Bjornsson Mobe because my middle name is Bjornsson and my last name is Mobe. So that was just not great forethought, but you know, it doesn't matter the order you say it. I'm Sadie. <laughs> We'd call that like maybe just a slight branding miscue for your post yeah. career. But um, exactly. <laughs> but Sadie was a a, a long time um, uh, member of the U.S. ski team. has has many uh, World Cup podiums. Has I believe a a bronze medal from the team sprint in the world championships uh, in I think 2017, and you know was part of this awesome uh, resurgence of talent and hard work and success on the women's side for many years. And now uh, she works in um, uh, something important and financial and, and accurate. <laughs> welcome to speak to it or not have to tag your employers with anything related to the Devin Kershaw show. And also is, uh, you know, a, a, a frequent, um, a frequent user of uh, a lot of Anchorage's many uh, open spaces where, you know, occasionally I get to run into her and, and other, uh, you know, cross-country skiing retirees and uh, get to, you know, share some stories and the challenges of adapting to um, working in an office and stuff like that. So we're, we're very um, honored to have Sadie join us today. 
Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, should we get? Don't sound we... too thrilled. Don't don't sound too excited. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We are super thrilled to have you. Thanks, Sadie. We really appreciate it. Should we uh, should we get into this? You guys ready? Let's do it. Ready. Okay, so um, I'm going to set my timer uh, to one minute, and we are going to start with the first question from Roy Summers. Now we're going to. I'm. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is too specific of a question. We'll email you, Roy. Uh, sorry, Roy from Thunder Bay. We're going to start with uh, Sasha from a mystery location. Um, Sasha says, I'm curious about the social dynamics within teams, particularly the Norwegian team. Athletes spend so much time together and they've all got a shared passion. No doubt they grow to be close friends, want the best for one another. On the other hand, competition within some of the teams is so stiff your teammates' successes can actually be your losses. Does this ever lead to a culture of secrecy or athlete independence within teams? I want to toss that to, to Sadie because you were in a pretty competitive U.S. women's team where probably start spots were at a premium for a little while. One minute, go. Yeah, well, this is one of the crazy parts about our sport is that our roommates are, can be our greatest competitors when you stand on the start line. But that's something that we worked really hard on as a team to make sure that the competition left, you know, when we left the <clears throat> the race course, we left the the competitive side there. But um, I guess I would say it's, it's really like that extends to the other teams as well, because we're like this traveling circus and um, it's well, like the Norwegians, for example, are not on our team all summer long. It's the same group that we're traveling with every single weekend for four months straight. So we're all friends. We all know when a new person comes on the circuit and we have discussions with each other. And of course, like, you know, somebody that you knocked elbows with in the race, you're really frustrated and you have a hard time sitting beside them on the bus. But um, I would say we all are really good about turning that competitive off um, when we leave the race course, but making kind of a family out of it in the meantime. Okay, great. One minute done uh next question Gosh, that's hard yeah, yeah. Well, no, it, you, it's a bit ruthless it's a, you know what i like you showing us the time if we can do that instead of like having interrupt like interrupted go, like air horns and stuff yeah i mean i think i think we'll use the air horn like if you get really egregious like going on for i like minutes. it that's true um, then you've got to get smacked it's true yeah. I, want, um, I know this i don't i don't really want to hop on this on on question one but I think it is a really interesting, I'm going to a little bit. I think it's a really interesting question. It's just in the sense that, that while cross-country skiing is an individual sport, you don't get better if you're not pushed in your training camps and on your day-to-day -day training. And the quicker you figure that out and the faster you learn that, the more sustainable success you'll have. And I think teams that haven't figured that out and have had huge rivalries where things have spilled over into bad team dynamics results follow and there's a lot of there's a lot of history of that but we don't need to go into that now because we don't have time but great question yeah great question okay next question is from an anonymous person in a uh, i'll just say in a uh, northern part of the united states who asks i'm curious what the ski reps do at major championships are they scouting talent slash trying to sign athletes to their brand are they pressing the flesh with teams and telling them how good their skis are getting data from the teams on how their skis are running in different conditions just being visible and networking. I'm not even trying to be snarky. I'm just curious what they typically do all week. One minute, Devin Kershaw, go. Yeah, no, that's a great question because every on the World Cup, you will have staff from all the big ski companies that are there. Honestly, a big part of their day is testing. So they have all these prototype skis and new skis coming right out of the factory and they just test them like crazy. So 
and then they give the best skis to top athletes on a on a ranking list. So Jesse Diggins, for example, would get the best skis from Solomon. Like that's just how it works when you're number one and Johannes Klebo would get the best skis for his weight, of course, uh, from Fisher. So that's a big, big part of their, of their day to day. That said, there is one thing that I can say about signing athletes. Most of the time, because it is a small family, a little bit like the athletes themselves, they try to sign new athletes at the end of the season and they they it's such a small family it feels like it's this huge thing but even though there's a couple hundred people they know they've talked to the staff and the wax technicians they know who's who's bailing on on or the contracts are up and who is isn't so it's all pretty it's all quite respectful so and they sign young talent so new talent people coming on to the world cup that Sadie was talking about prior that's that's when that's when companies can really jump on the on the board early Roger that. Okay, Devin, very good job keeping it to the uh, appointed time. Uh, we will move on to John Allman from Montreal, who asks, when watching some of the big cycling tours during the summer, I noticed there is a lot of tech stuff monitoring the cyclist's health status, status like heart rate watts, etc. That really grabs my attention and gives me a true view into the cyclist's level of comfort or discomfort and power output. My question is, would you think this could add spectator value by seeing the hurt slash effort of the skiers? Or is this a pipe dream knowing that this tech could add too much complexity and effort to the already stretched out production capabilities we see now? Uh, I'll kick this to you again, Devin. This seems like a good, good one for you to go on a little rant here. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. I think the problem with cross country skiing and fists is like, they don't want to use the technology that's available. So some years ago, Polar, Polar or like Polar was, was, sponsoring the which is a hardy monitor company um was sponsoring the fist world cup so they had athletes ski with like another dongle in the bib and then a heart rate monitor strap and then they were live streaming that it was a bit didn't work out super super great but you did get to see some data uh they tried that for a couple seasons i think sadie and then they went away from it completely that's the only thing they also tried which was the worst is like we would ski with this gps system which was the size of a deck of cards like it was literally like putting a deck of cards in a bib they had a little pocket in your bib and then they would go from live video to like this ghetto map not even a good map not 3d just like 2d and like a dot following following the people on the course which also fell flat I like the idea. I think there's a lot that could be done with that, especially with the newer technology. You see what football, like soccer, sorry, uh, has been able to do. Um, so it'd be, be cool to see that in the future, but we're a long way from that now. Okay, so next question, we're going to go to Sadie from Yosef M. Coleman. Will this year finally be the year that the U.S. medals in the 4x5K relay, showing great potential and some of the normal contenders won't necessarily have the best four or even be there this year? Gosh, great, great question. That's what we've been wondering for a couple of championships in a, in a row now. Will this be the year? Um, you know, as we all know, on championship day, you have to have all your ducks come lined up perfectly and everyone's at their best. The, the peak shape of the year, the peak perfect skis, the peak, the best course. So um, it's definitely a lot of elements need to line up. I would say yes, this year, the, the four by five is in a place to win a medal. I definitely think that they're all in great form. We have four strong ladies. I think it'll be, you know, this is 
every year it's just within striking distance. So of course it's no different than normal. If those girls put everything together perfectly on that day, for sure, they're they're not only can they shoot for a medal, but they can shoot for the win, which is pretty darn exciting. <laughs> uh, dang. Okay. We have some extra time here, but we'll just move on to the next question from, uh, from Ollie Burris in the Craftsbury, Vermont area. Um, I'm going to put you guys both on the spot because this is a question that I, I feel like uh, is really going to be a tough one. But he says, um, what is the wildest doping story slash rumor you ever heard on the World Cup? You're far enough removed now that you can name names and uh, no one will care. So some people might argue with this, but um, maybe name names, maybe don't name names if you feel like otherwise you can't. Um, either of you feel like you have a good story here? You know what? I don't think I have a good story other than the story that was told in like Icarus, the documentary. Exactly. I was going to say the same. Honestly, (laughs) the Russian systematic doping fallout from Sochi is so wild. It's almost hard to believe it was true. And the fact that it was proven to be true is both incredibly depressing and (laughs) far beyond any rumor that could I have ever heard through 16, 17 years of professional skiing. It, it was outrageous. I was, I'm a little too old to, to remember the fallout from the 2001 world championships uh, in Lati when the whole men's team and Burpee got busted at their home championships there. But uh, no, so, I mean, the Sochi systematic doping stories is, is just unbelievable. Um, Ollie had one other question that I will just quickly ask you guys to really name a name here. Um, who are your guys, if you had to pick one technique idol, uh, from, you know, international cross-country skiing, who would it be? Ostrid Jakobsen. Devin? Oh, for me, it's no question. I mean, Johannes Klebo is like, <laughs> it's stupid. <laughs> so as far as, as far as technical skiing goes, both in classic and skate, like Glebo can't be matched in my opinion. He's it's, it's skiing perfection. Roger that. Okay. Um, the next question, this should be a pretty easy one. Uh, this is from Bill Schwing. Um, I have seen skiers holding hands while on slight downhills. Why do skiers do this? Are they testing glide? (laughs) Does it help them stay together? I cannot figure this out. Uh, Sadie one minute go. Yes. There's various forms. Some people hold hands. Some people put their hands over their shoulders. There's a lot of uh, comical, uh, techniques out there, but yes, it's the athletes and the technician or the tech and the tech testing the, the glide out speed of their skis. Um, you know, a lot of times there's different size, like the difference between a tech and an athlete is a different size or it's two different size techs. So if you can hold hands, you can at least start, um, you know, you're starting the glide out at the same speed. And then we're repeating it a whole bunch of times to see what the difference in the glide out speed is. Um, but it's definitely pretty, you know, it's always a crazy scene in that glide out zone because there's just all these people really focused on getting like their job done. And if somebody crosses the track, it's just, it's just total mayhem. And it's one of the things that feels so normal when you're on the world cup, but looking from the outside, I imagine that is a very bizarre thing to watch. <laughs> oh, Devin's I, have to, I have to jump into because it is, it is pretty funny and it is so low tech when you think about how high tech a lot of, a lot of, especially <laughs> with the technicians and the grinds and the ski constructions and all the prototype, everything. Um, but as just to, just to repeat, like people that don't understand exactly what Sadie was saying, cause they're like, well, yeah, people are different weights. People are different heights. 
what the hell's going on. I mean, like Sadie and a technician, you're going to be like 30 kilos difference or like 60 pounds difference. You know what I mean? So, but the thing is like Sadie said, where they do repeated, like, so you will go down a, a, like a hill, a straight hill. Usually it's a glide out area, like Sadie said, or it's on the course itself. If you can cut across without taking people out and then you will go back to the top and switch sides or sorry, switch skis, not switch sides. You never switch sides. You just switch skis. So, and then you kind of add up who beat who by how much. And then the best ski moves on to like, it's almost like a hockey playoffs, like a semi, like a quarterfinal, a semifinal final, and then you find the best that way. Roger that. Okay. So we will move on to Matthew click from Denver who asks whatever happens to the Allsgard skate are skiers and skis just powerful enough now not to need such a technique we'll we'll kick this to devin and maybe devin can start by explaining what the allsgard skate is because i <laughs> i'm not old enough or smart enough to even know what that is i'm not totally sure what he means but i think i do it, it, if you look back to 1994 which was like thomas allsgard the great norwegian champion olympic champion world champion from the 90s and early 2000s in skating he would glide super super long so he had a really long stride and he was he was sitting a lot actually like his hips were back and people that listen to this especially when alex is on this is the thing that alex and i like to talk about all the time is a high hip position and then really using your your core strength and keeping that high hip position as you finish your kicks which is a longer longer gliding phase uh whereas osgard was like really on the quads whereas like claybo is really good at using his core and using his glute muscles and I think there's just a progression of skiing. I think if you skied like Osgard did in 1994, like sitting back like that, keeping on the quads, you get your ass kicked because skiing has just progressed so much that that, that style of skiing is just not fast enough anymore, especially in uh, offset or like, I don't know what that's called in American again, V1 alternate maybe. V2 alternate. Yeah. V2 alternate. Exactly. When you're sitting like that, it just an incredible amount on the, on the quad. So the Allsgard skate is gone out to pasture and the the new way to do it is, is definitely what you're seeing with uh, Johannes Klebo, for example, or Kruger is a good example to really high hip position and keeping it off the quads. Um, next question is from Amy Oberbrockling who asks, I think what is a really good question. She asks, I've been wondering while watching the world cup this year, why do the skiers sign that clear board? Does it happen in every race? I'll kick that one to Sadie again. It doesn't, I don't think it happens in every race. And yes, there's always a clear board. And when you're late to the start, you miss the clear board because you're like, you got your skis right before the race and you didn't have time or you're really nervous and you like sign something weird. It's always like this. I always thought of it as a nice way to like distract myself from the nervous, but it's a really good question. I actually have no idea what happens to that board. I imagine the organizing committee keeps it. I mean, what a cool keepsake to like hang on the wall for people that come skiing at the center afterwards. Um, maybe Devin knows more of where that actually goes. <laughs> I have no idea where the board goes. And I think it was, you know, there was a time that Fist was really trying to like make it more exciting with like the pregame, like getting closer to the action a bit like other sports do like being in the locker room kind of thing in a professional sports setting and that sort of thing. And this was their way to like get more camera action. So Claybo or like the big stars have to come through a, like a, an area that everyone has to come to the same area. 
but quite frankly, I hope that they keep the board and can put it up at the venue, like you said, Sadie, for kids to get inspired. Because if it's just going to get like windexed and like move to the next venue, I don't think it's a real value add. Personally, I, I think it's kind of like good try, not good enough. Did the board exist when you were an athlete, Devin, or was that a? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay. I'm well, old. I was gonna say I'm I, old I, as the hills, but like even even <laughs> uh, but it, it, it didn't it it wasn't there in 2003 at my first World Championships. That that it wasn't. So it, it was kind of a later edition. I, I want to say like maybe like 2012 to 15 in that range it started. Yeah. I, I was gonna say maybe they send it to the winner of the overall World Cup. Like Clavo's got three of those boards in his basement or something, but um. Who knows? Okay. So <laughs> this question is from Forrest Dramas. I feel like we've gotten this question before, but I think it's worth asking again. Um, of late, I'm seeing more and more skiers using the combi skiathlon boots in distance classic races. Has this always been the case and I'm just noticing it, or is this a new development due to tech or equipment changes? Um, Sadie, you want to field that one? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it's actually confusing because I think that's the general assumption that they're using skiathlon boots and there is a spectrum. There are some people using skiathlon boots in classic and it's more just for the ankle support. You know, the courses are twistier and we can now use more power on the turns and stuff. But actually a lot of the brands are now making just a classic, a normal classic boot with a cuff on it. And so essentially it looks really similar to the skiathlon boot, but um, it's just kind of an undercover like World Cup ski boot. Um, but you know, like, like I said, the courses just are more extreme. It's like, now we have the think about France, like this last race that, a couple of weekends ago that we watched that they literally skied to the top of a ski jump and back down. Um, those corners were gnarly on the way down and you needed to keep your power throughout them. And so if you're, if your ankle is rolling over your boot, as you're trying to push hard against your ski, then it's just, you're not going to get the full power output. So it's just kind of something like a technical, um, I don't know, a, a technical like adjustment that's happening over time. And then um, one thing too, like the skiathlon sole is a little stiffer. So traditionally a skiathlon sole is a little stiffer than a traditional classic sole, but not completely rigid like a skate sole is. So, gotcha. so which is harder to kick. The, the, the long story short is a skiathlon boot would make it harder to kick and the classic sole is going to help you a lot more. So that's, uh, yeah. So uh, this is one of my favorite questions. Uh, it's from one of uh, Devin's many fans in Finland. Uh, the name is, is Toppy Salmi. And the question basically boils down to, uh, you guys talk about Norway and Sweden and Russia on the podcast all the time, but like you almost never talk about Finland, even though Finland, especially the women are super legit. So basically uh, the question is, are we just boring or is there more to it? What's, what's the story here, Devin? You know what? I read this question a couple of weeks ago and I've been making a seriously concerted effort because there are so many great fins and there has been so many great fins for a long time and they are exciting. And I thought we did. I mean, like Niskanen in the Olympics being 0.2 seconds behind uh, Terezi Ohug for the most amazing 10K classic I've ever seen for women. Uh, you know, I feel like they, they're getting the love, but, but noted duly noted we will we will definitely give more airtime i mean evo niskanen i feel like we talk about evo all the time speaking of great technique i mean in classic and diagonal stride he's the best technical diagonal strider on the world cup and of course like parmakowski has been up there forever and um yeah so there's a lot of great finnish athletes the people for the finnish fans out there there's it's probably only you, but we appreciate it. Uh, we, uh, super stoked at how Finland did at the world juniors and under 23s. 
in Canada a couple weeks ago where they took a plethora of gold medals. So looks like the future is also bright for Finland and uh, yeah, go, go Swami. Let's do this. All right. That was uh, well within a minute. Good job, Devin. Um, next question. We'll go with uh, Josh Smolin. He's, he sent, uh, he sent a couple, but uh, one that I, I like here is uh, post-race hack. Uh, someone, one of you guys can expand upon what that is, but any strategies that you know of to help athletes overcome slash avoid this? I feel like, uh, Devin, this actually could be a good question for you. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a winter sport. And when you're pressing your lungs and your body to the extremes, it's not surprising that you get aggravated airways. So you'll cough quite a bit. It's just inflammation of the airways and it's not great. Uh, strategies. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, it's, I would say back in the days it was deal with it. Um, like there's really not much you could do. Maybe go to like, try and have some, breathe some salt water, like, uh, through a nebulizer or something like that, or, or put like, yeah, just like get in a human environment kind of thing to let your airways calm down. Uh, this is going to just open a huge bag of worms and I don't really want to, but I'm going to a little bit, uh, later on in my career, I was shocked at how many athletes on all levels of skiing use inhalers compared to 20 years ago, whereas 20 years ago was also cold. Um, so there seems to be a lot of people are using inhalers, but that's totally out of my pocket that there's no study that I've done. This is just observational, uh, evidence. So, but of course, like if you're going to be using, um, inhalers to reduce inflammation, it, it will, it will help also post-race hack, but uh, that opens a whole other can of problems and that maybe a whole podcast should be we should probably do a whole podcast on that and bring like a, an exercise physiologist and a doctor because it actually is pretty interesting. Sadie, anything to add quickly? Um, no, other than I guess I would have loved to be a fly on the wall last year when you're like on an airplane and you hear somebody cough and during like COVID times, everyone's like kind of like puts dag like you stare, you're like, oh my gosh, somebody on the plane with COVID. I would love to be on just like a public flight with our with nordic skiers after a world cup because they hack so hard and i'm sure like just the general public was freaking out so would love to be a fly on the wall <laughs> okay so we'll move on next question uh is from cameron clayton uh location unknown this is a good question has u.s cross country or cross country canada ever considered getting some sort of house or home base in europe usa cycling has something similar and might address some of the problems you often talk about with the European advantage to go home between World Cup stops. Say, do you want to uh, try answering that one? Yeah, we definitely explored the idea, at least while I was on the team. And I think it was on the team for like something like 10 years. Um, but it's not as simple as it seems. I mean, we spend a lot of time in, in like Scandinavia and then we do a block down in Central Europe and then we do a block well, maybe over in North America, um, it's not it's not as simple to always come back to one place. And at different periods of the year, we also like various um, altitudes. So, you know, before championships, we want to go to high altitude. But I was somebody who never wanted to go to high altitude right after the tour. When I was trying to recover, I would have liked to go to lower. And so just the spectrum of needs is not as simple to have a home base. 
That being said, there are people like, for example, Rosie Brennan this year, she does have a home base in Tobolsk. And so she is coming back to that, that location. And I think she feels like she feels this happiness knowing that she has kind of a home and a home base where all of her things belong. And so I guess it's a little bit of a quantitative versus qualitative argument. Um, it's good for your mind, but is it really good for your training to always be in the same place? Um, I don't know. All right. So we will move on to the next question. Um, this one, I think is a good one for Devin. This one is from Ron Carmichael, but uh, Ron Carmichael, who does not uh, identify his hometown, but does send a subject line that says spanked. And the question is distance World Cup skiers getting spanked by old dudes in La Diagonella, which is one of the uh, you know ski marathons in the ski classic series. He says, Anders Auckland and Northug beat Musgrave and Patterson question mark by minutes question mark question mark uh Devin what's what's going on there well the ski classics which is like the marathon circuit has been growing in popularity actually in the last 15 or so years and a consequence of that has been that there's been more specialization for these long races in double pulling so you'll have guys like Andreas Nigord, for example, in a region who's one of the best. He won Birkebeiner last year. He's won Vassalopet. Um, he's a total beast. But when he was an active athlete in normal cross-country skiing, like he would struggle to be in the top 60 in Norwegian Cups. Um, but he gave himself over to this long-distance racing, and he is one of the best in, in the long-distance racing. And it, it just it, it requires, it's a different physiological load that you're putting yourself under. The courses are pretty much dead flat. Some have some small hills, some have quite hill, quite hilly, but generally it's fairly flat, like the big, and even like Vassalopet, the Marshallonga, for example, quite flat. And it just has a different physiological demand than normal skiing. So when you see professional skiers in the world cup, try and make a go at it with these long races that are flat, of course, like they're not trained for this. And if you put Anders Auckland or Andreas Nigord uh, at home and and got them to do a 50 K classic, they'd be like 15 minutes back or they'd get their ass whooped, not Anders Auckland, 2002 edition, but Anders Auckland, 2023 edition. So different demands and uh, more specialization. And that's what you're seeing. All right. This next question is from uh, an old training buddy of mine, Isaac Kreisman, who now lives in Bishop, California. Um, his question, he's got a couple of questions, but I picked out the most salacious one. Uh, he says, this question is much less serious, but equally important to the others. What is the international dating scene like on the World Cup circuit? I'm going to let either of you, whoever wants to jump in and answer this one can just go for it. <laughs> I don't know how to, I guess like, I feel like nowadays the the athletes that are at their peak are a little bit older. And so they tend to come on with partners. But that being said, when I was young and just first hitting the World Cup, it seemed like there were single people everywhere. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I know, know. It's, a hard, it's, it's a hard one to answer. And then also too, like speaking of like not getting yourselves in trouble, just leave it there. Like, like it's, <laughs> it's, 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 uh, yeah the dating scene, if you want to know like the dating scene, I would say it's not super common that athletes across countries are dating each other. That is not common. We just got, we just have Kevin Bolger and um, yeah. 
Dog quest. And Maya, like, yeah, keeping us entertained, just, you know, keeping the and dream will, alive. <laughs> and, and, and I will note that, uh, you know, what, what Kevin has said is that they, they met on Tinder at like a World Cup venue, which I think is That's great. wild. That, yeah. That's a crazy, what a time to be alive. What can, a you time set to be your, alive. can you set your like Tinder preferences for Olympic medalists only? Cause I mean, yeah. Well, I will say when I was at the Olympics in 2014, somebody I will not name was playing the Tinder game. And since I never lived during the time that fortunately I had a partner by the time Tinder came out, um, I call it playing Tinder, which is probably what old people say, but like, it, it was very interesting to look at Tinder at the Olympic games. I was like, this is really different than probably any other tinder experience anyone else would have <laughs> that, that yeah that must be 400 russian <laughs> dude volunteers and yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. okay um so- sure petter was on there i'm sure petter was on there and i'm sure petter was on there slaying that, that's that's all you need to know <laughs> um all right we will we will move on here um to Mar- a question from mark howlett from chapel hill north carolina um I like I like this question. Uh, Clybo as the greatest of all time. Uh, in one of your shows, uh, Devin said Clybo was the best cross country skier ever. In the ongoing effort to try and fix the quote unquote problem with men's cross country skiing, wouldn't one method be to hype up and accentuate Clybo's greatest of all timeness? Uh, and I totally disagree that he's boring. Personally, I think that taking off the gloves or poles before the race is over is pointedly disrespectful to the other athletes so uh devin why don't you why don't you weigh in on this one? why don't we play up clybo's greatest no but i i actually do i think it's a great comment I, I think it really is a great comment because you know like if you think about it like dynasty eras like we loved seeing the lakers just win championships all over the 80s or the celtics back in the days and i'm talking nba or you know any sort of professional sports dynasties we just love it like golden state warriors have been a number of years ago where they're just in the nba finals all the time like claybo is that he is he is the michael jordan he's the he is one of the best ever and yeah of course i've screwed around saying he's the best skier of all time i mean he's the best actual cross-country skier i'm not sure like paul mares like he on the world cup his stat line doesn't lie but at the championship i mean bjorn dolly of course is still a notch above and petter nortug has a lot of 50k wins and and claybo has I would say one that got taken away from him. So zero. Uh, so he still has a bit to go there, but it's, 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 it's totally true. I mean, Claybo is the best skier right now and it dynasties are something that we like and they should be hyped up. We love, we all love watching Messi win the world cup for Argentina this summer uh, to solidify his legend status. So we should, we should definitely hype up. It's just hard because Sadie and I were a part of Petter Nortug when he was the best ever. And Petter Nortug was anything but boring he was a riot and he changed cross-country skiing completely and he's still one of the biggest sports stars in this country and he's not even an athlete anymore really um and claybo is just more clinical he's like a surgeon and he's just gonna cut you to shreds perfectly though <laughs> so uh <laughs> so it's a little bit of a different thing it's harder okay so we're moving on uh to john swain a former uh, competitor of mine who now lives in minneapolis minnesota his question, uh, really straightforward, but I don't feel like we hear about this a lot. What makes someone better at skate or classic skiing? Is it always related to technique? Is it something physiological or probably both? And it's impossible to separate them. Sadie, do you want to take a, a stab at that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely a, a question that is up for interpretation for each individual person's opinion, but 
Um, I always was confused why the U.S. was so good at skate and not as good at classic because classic just seems so much more like that's how you learn to walk. It just it follows like the brain's way of movement. Um, I do think it probably is a little bit of the outcome of what is common, like what is what what like who the people you're watching at your club. So like I think there were, you know, it took off that skating was like kind of I guess essentially our country really like took on skating. So, you know, all the young kids watched like the Bill Cokes or whatever, and then they got good at at skate. So I want to say it's a product of just what you're watching at your club, your club teams. And um I would hope to think that, you know, it's starting to change. Like in Norway, it's of course that classic has been around for like centuries. And so um a little kid learns watching their parent classic skier like the their heroes classic ski and they know what beautiful classic skiing looks like from day one so um i guess i'm gonna say i'm gonna say history <laughs> i'm surprised devin's not uh jumping to weigh in here as well but we will uh we will quickly move on so this this question is uh from hannah in missoula montana this year, more than others, my husband and I have been annoyed by how similar a lot of the team suits are. Our annoyance has been fueled further by watching the Soccer World Cup where uniforms are coordinated so that you can tell teams apart. So what is the process of teams coming up with new uniforms or is there no process and suits are handed down from on high and it's just the Wild West? And to what degree are those shared across winter sports like Nordic and downhill wearing the same suits or biathlon being different? Uh, Devin, you want to take a, a stab at that question? Sure. I think it's, I think it actually is a great question. Uh, the rule is there is no rule except for some countries have the same ski federation across all sports and the same sponsors that they share. So Italy is a good example. The Italian ski federation, they have the same suits in Nordic combined cross country, Alpine, uh, all the ski disciplines. Uh, so there's a lot of continuity there. Whereas Canada, for example, is completely different, different sponsors, different federations different everything um the ussa has the same federation because the alpine is a part of that as well but different sponsors so you know spider doesn't exactly make <laughs> cross-country ski gear so it's hard to have a spider suit or something um for that and so it's i think it, it, it could be better i agree i totally agree i think a lot of the suits are shit and look bad uh, and when they're all the same color and also bad, it, it's confusing for a skier to, especially in these mass start races to kind of like know who everyone is. So definitely something they should look into. I think that could be something that they could uh, mandate to have it a little bit more, a little bit clearer, honestly. I've never thought about it really, but it's, it's a, it's a very good point. Yeah. I have well, to make a quick, I have to make a quick add in the U S this year, actually it's Kappa Kappa, however you want to say it across all the different teams so that you'll notice that the Alpine and the Nordic do have the same, which is pretty cool. That's like a new, that's, that's a new thing for, for the USSA. So. That's true. Thank you. Yeah. Of course it's Kappa. That's my bad. I, uh, I'm stuck in the nineties, but uh, <laughs> no, but it's true. It, it, I think it is cool. I think it, it's cool that they do that. And I think it could be something that could be um, done better. I like, yeah. We're, we're going to uh, just quickly tack on another uniform question from uh, Daphne week who asks, uh, why does Norway's new uniform look like the Portland uh, International Airport carpet? Devin, you can handle that for sure. And I'm sorry, Kraft, because Kraft makes amazing training clothes. And I think the Swedish Kraft clothing throughout history has looked great, 
functions really great, fits the athletes well. And then Kraft took over the Norwegian national team, which you would have imagined would be like, this is it. And I think, I think it's like some sort of joke for Sweden that the Swedes are like, yeah, you kick our ass in cross-country skiing in Bathlon, <laughs> wear this jacket. Oh yeah, that says medium. Oh, it fits like an extra large. My bad. Oh, this color looks like shit. That's fine. Look at the Swedish stuff. Doesn't it look good? And you look like <laughs> you just walked out of a Salvation Army or something. Like it's horrendous. The craft clothing for Norway is so bad. And when you line it up against where they came from with Bjorn Dolly, which looked amazing, all the Bjorn Dolly clothes looked and fit amazing. Kraft makes amazing clothes. I feel bad for the Norwegian athletes. They look like shit. All right. Rant over. Um, next question. I am uh, making this to an anonymous question asker because I'm interjecting some profanity into the question or <laughs> injecting. Uh, the question basically sums up to you guys keep using this phrase technique cue, technique cue, technique cue. What the f- is a technique cue? <laughs> Sadie. Uh, I don't, I'd like a two, you know, multiple word thing that comes into your head so that you remember what you're supposed to be doing. It's like, a, it's a reminder. Have an example? <laughs> I had a Norwegian, yes, I did. Um, and this is gonna, I'll just add to the profanity, why not? But it's more just a translation um, confusion. But I had a Norwegian tech my last three years of racing who was amazing. Um, and he always told me like, get on your toe balls. And the first time I heard him say that, I just like, I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> what? I don't know, it was just like funny. So I always thought after that, like toe balls, because I knew that meant get up on my, like get up on my toes and like be on top of my classic ski. So it's just like a, a funny or like something that you remember that reminds you what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> Great. Um, okay. Next question. Um, we'll start with Devin, but I think I want to hear from Sadie on this too. This question is from uh, Riley Troyer. And uh, the question is, is there a particular venue or event that you would recommend planning a vacation around if I was interested in watching a world cup race in person? One minute, Devin, go. No question. You have to come to home and Colin for the 50 K because it's got an over hundred year history. It has 50,000 plus fans and it's an experience like it, 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 to sit in the stadium with the families drinking hot chocolate, cheering an experience to go out to Frogner Setra, like six kilometers out into the woods with 20,000 drunk screaming young people that are camping out in the forest An experience has something for everybody. It's also a super, super unique event in the fact that it happens at the cap in a capital city uh like and you can take a subway or like a yeah subway up to the to the venue it's 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 like nothing else in our, in our sport and it is the kitzbühel if you're into alpine or it's it's the it's the mecca it's cross-country mecca sadie what do you think falun is also good too it's fun yeah no i i like i'm on the holman cole uh party unfortunately and unfortunately i would say that hands down best place you should go um but i will just give a shout out for like i think it's in 2026 that the world cups are coming to the berkey course um and so i would say absolutely i mean i'm already planning my trip for that i don't know what's going to be happening in my life but i will most definitely be there because i did the berkey my first time ever last year and i'm like what this exists in the united states like this many people and it's just like such a show and so i am gonna like go as far as saying it's going to be the American equivalent of Holman Cole. So be there, be square. <laughs> I like it. I've got to jump in one more thing too. France. Yes. We are t- I'm still on a high. How could we forget? <laughs> Laters. 
and I'm not just saying this because Sadie's husband is French and she spent <laughs> a lot of time in France, but the times I've raced in La Clusa when the World Cup was there, absolutely beautiful environment, very passionate fans, lots of other fun things to do, cheaper than Norway, better food. Uh, Norway has good food too, but I mean, French food, come on. Uh, better wine, that's for sure. So so if you ever see World Cups in France, you're guaranteed to have a, a good time and then bring your alpine skis and pack your appetite because it, it's a great cultural experience to, to watch races in France. And and I'm just going to add as a guy who's been to relatively few World Cup venues that uh, the toe block uh, is amazing. It's a long time stop on the tour to ski. They have great food. It's it's northern Italy. Uh, and then the, the ski trails there, like if you want to be a tourist, they they canned that awesome stage from uh, Cortina where the Olympics are going to be in 2026 all the way back to toe block. But it's like you get to ski through a tunnel over the mountains like it, it's awesome. You should. You should go hang out there. So uh, we'll move on to the next question. I actually really like this one. This is from uh, Wake Troy in Montana, who asks, there's so much talk on how no one digs like Jesse Diggins. This seems mildly disrespectful to those elite skiers that race alongside her as if they don't push themselves and don't want to win as badly as Jesse. My question is, is there any physiological data that shows she actually overperforms her capacity and those around her just meet their expectations? I know she always falls over at the finish or needs to be carried away, but I see Krista Parmakoski drooling herself and Clavo just picking up his skis and walking off. Did Teresa Yohog not dig deep during the Olympic 10K or care to? Um, why don't you try this one first, uh, Sadie, but I feel like we should hear from both of you about this one. Cause I, I yeah, the, the, this is a good one for both of us. Um, I will say I personally was often offended by the fact that like people who didn't know much or didn't follow a ton or like, I don't know, my family members, like my grandma or somebody would say, well, or a sponsor would say, well, you, you know, if you dug as deep as Jesse, like you would have gotten that. And I was always offended by that because everyone displays their discomfort very differently. And some people are extroverted and some people are introverted. And like, I'm not going to say that leads into how you display yourself, but I will say everybody is giving their, giving their all equally. I know, for example, like Rosie Brennan and Haley Swirbel, they believe that you don't deserve to lay on the ground when you cross the finish line. Whereas I'm like, holy crap, I deserved this more than anything because the ground is like, that's what I'm like thinking about. I'm like, I can't wait to get to the end, lay on the ground. So I will say, I do not think that she's pushing harder than anyone else. I think it's just a different display of how her, how deep she's digging and what her performance looks like. And like, also like some people like Ostrid, like I'm going to use Ostrid for example, because I'm a, a monster Ostrid fan, but like you would never see her like flopping around. And that's just like a difference in the way their muscle build is, you know, like it is no, like it's no hit or dig event against anyone, but it's just, it's a different display of like how your muscles work. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I'm going to jump into, because I think the way Sadie put that was very, very respectful. I'll be maybe like a little less respectful, but also in the sense that like, think about like old WWF, uh, or like wrestling, like American pro wrestling that like people had personas and then kind of close your eyes and kind of bring that to Nordic skiing. And that's essentially what Sadie's saying, but like go back and YouTube some Bjorn Dolly videos of the nineties when he crossed the finish line. And it's like, of course he just got shot with the shotgun because his collapses <laughs> over the finish line are some like just completely legendary like both skis up in the air, flying in the air and like falling. Diggins is just 
carrying on the tradition of Nordic skiers completely exploding over the finish line. Frida Carlson's giving her a run for the money though, getting carried out and stretchers and the whole thing. But uh, it's, it, it's a show. It's straight up a show. I agree. Diggins does dig super deep, but Rosie digs just as deep physiologically. And no, Jesse Diggins' oxygen saturation at the finish line isn't like 10. Like it, it's, she's, she, and like when she's like lying there, it's like, don't touch me. I'm so wrecked. Like I can't even like focus. I'm passed out. Like it, it's, it's a bit of a show, but it's a great show and gets the people talking and uh, creates headlines the next day. And we get questions like this. So people are different. I like that way uh, that you summed that up, Sadie. Very, very um, tactfully done. I mean, we love the entertainment. That's why people watch sports. So I love that Jesse does that. I think it's entertaining. And then my like, my family and coworkers think that we're so hardcore. Whereas like Rosie might cross the line and people might not think that even though she's total, total insanity, like hardcore. So like, I mean, the same thing with Petter Nortug, like when he's stepping across the line being a total jerk to the next person, like we love that. That's why we're watching cross country skiing. <laughs> exactly. And I also love, and I also love like the clay, but honestly, like the, 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 I love that he's like deadpan, nose breathing, takes the poles off. It's like, yeah, this was zone one. You guys are all chumps. Like, but he doesn't have to say it. He doesn't have to rub it in your face like Petter did. And I love the contrast. I love that Petter, I'm sorry, I love that Claybo can just like dismantle the men's field and make it look like literally he was out for, he was fly fishing. That's what he was doing. And then Jesse comes across the line, literally like, this is a code blue. We need like, the card like we need the cardiac arrest team here now like she might as well be getting jammed with a bunch of ivs and they and they did the same thing it's amazing you know you know what i would like to see and i you know this is a this is a idea from the the reality tv show that we're gonna talk about on a subsequent episode of, of the podcast but like can we get a lactate test at the finish line because that those numbers don't lie right like if 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 Rosie's uh, or or uh, Astrid's lactate is higher than than Jesse's and they're just like standing and chilling, then like whatever. But Devin's not convinced by this. What's up? No, the, the reason I'm not convinced with that because the lactate test won't actually give you the answer. So like Phil Widmer, for example, like a sprinter, like a pure sprinter. If you took a pure sprinter's lactate, like Evan Nortuk, for example, if you took his lactate at the end of a 10K that he emptied the tank, or a sprint or something, he could have like a lactate of like insane high, like 19 or 21, like just ridiculous. Like, how are you not dead <laughs> right now? And then you could take a lactate of Teresa Yohug at the end where she really did. She went like all out and she'd have a lactate of like five, not five maybe, but eight, <laughs> eight, let's say. So like it, it, there's a big time physiological differences between that. But anyway, regardless, it's entertaining. Let's leave it there. It's entertaining. We love it. We just spent, we blew through all our, this was our mulligan. We just used up one of our mulligans because it was a great question. So thanks for that. I think we used up all of the mulligans. So, and, and I know we'll, we'll go through a few more questions here. I know Sadie's like uh, probably got people pounding on the door being like, get back to work. So we'll go through, we'll go through a couple more. My, Michael Gachi from Minneapolis asks a good question. How can Rosie Brennan have good skis well, Jesse Diggins is our bad. Is that because they're using different brands? What kind of communication is happening between wax techs from the same country? Are all the skiers from the same, from, from the same country on the same glide and same kick wax? Um, how does this work? Maybe Sadie, you could take a crack at that one. Yeah. Well, this is the same question we've been asking for years. You know, like we spent a lot of 
I would say the lot of my early career, Jesse had good skis while the rest of us were wondering what the heck happened. So just to sum it up, it is a quite a process to have like your performance skis on the start line. There's all the testing that happens with the techs beforehand. And then each technician has like a specific um, way that they wax or like a specific belief. Like they, they believe this binder must go on or, you know, this order must be taken. And so there is actually a decent amount of individualization, despite the fact that you're making a team call. And then at the end, like, you know, there's maybe some final call on like, for example, a classic day, like the final top code is, could be different, um, between the athletes just based off the technician's um, preference. And so it is common actually that one team is on like, I don't know, three or four different types of wax and stuff. And so um, it is it is more common than you would imagine. And that's been happening for the whole time I was a ski racer. It's just, it's not always, you know, when somebody's consistently the best, it's more obvious when they miss the wax, where when you're consistently, you know, I think about the middle or early part of my career, when I'm consistently top 10, top 15, nobody really knew what the difference between me being 10th and me being 20th and the fact that that was a significant ski difference. And so um, it's just more visible. And I think that um, Rosie's tech, like during the tour, for example, was just nailing a lot of those days. Um, and there was just a spectrum going on out there. I, I have to jump in too, because like, I will say as well that like also athletes, technically, this comes back to technique because you have so many questions about technique, like Alex Harvey, for example, and, and myself and most, a lot of, uh, in the men's field actually, but also some in the women's field. We, we talk with our techs and we will like, we want the slipperiest skis we possibly can get away with. I want the fastest skis. So let's wax them as thin as possible. Because you have a real confidence in your classic skiing on the course that like, if I have to like muscle it up a little bit on that last lap, it's worth it to have faster skis all around. Whereas like maybe you're Jesse Diggins, you're feeling like your classic skiing is not that good. And then right before the race, you're like, I need that security layer. Like I need one more layer of a wax. That's like one level warmer. And then you put that security layer with that one level warmer wax. And now all of a sudden your skis are draggy as shit. And it doesn't really help you anyway, because your technique falls apart regardless. And now you have super draggy skis and that affects it too. So it, it's a confidence. It's a dialogue that you're having with your technician, especially in classic, especially in classic. And in skate, I would say, just to add, it's like the grind. So like Sadie skied with Fisher and had maybe factory Fisher grinds or maybe third-party grinds on her skis, whereas Jesse's the number one on Solomon for women. And Solomon has a number of different grinding machines that put different patterns into the skis and Sadie would never have the same. Yeah. And Sadie would never have the same grind as, as, uh, as Jesse anyways. And that has, that can have a huge effect in skating. All right. We're going to go with two more questions. Um, we'll start with this one for Devin from Peter Knight. Um, lots of references made to the transformation of Jesse Diggins's or Teresa Yohog's technique over the years. I think this can provide some inspiration, even for the crustiest of masters racers. I keep hearing quote angles mentioned care to elaborate what to look for in video, what sensations to seek out. I think it's a great question because everyone can improve their technique. And even in the later years and uh, uh, Jesse, of course, is a great example in, in her classic skiing when she's in shape, like she classic skis 15 times better than she did 10 years ago. Therese Johag is goes without saying. I think even really cool is like we just saw that Paul Goldberg won a skate race, individual start skate race at 32 years old. 
that's incredible because like if you looked at how Paul Goldberg skated when he was 21 like you would never in a billion years guess he would win a skate race when we talk about angles I think Alex actually touched upon this a couple of weeks ago but like can you keep your weight directly under your feet like that that's what it, that's what it's all about so in skating if you have like a deep ankle angle by having a high hip position so like not sitting like not that all's guard technique where you have kind of like a 90 degree angle with your foot and your tibia or like your shin bone that is bad so if you have like an acute angle with that i would look to that in skating especially where you see the athletes driving with the knee forward they have a pretty quite a deep uh angle between the foot and the and your shin bone but also maintaining that high hip position so you can use your abs and use your glutes i think that's a that's that's a good start all right, we'll go to the last question here from Kirsten Hensley in Ann Arbor, Michigan, who says, uh, the U.S. puts a lot of emphasis on team building and dynamics. Is this commonplace or somewhat unusual compared to the other countries? Are any other countries really good or really bad at team cohesion? It looks like the Italians have a lot of fun out there. So I don't know, Sadie, do you want to take a crack at that? Um, yeah, sure. Well, I, I always feel like we were kind of leaders in that area, the U S women's team. And like, I guess at the time we had the Canadians rep, we were North North American crew, but I would say like, I always thought we were leaders in the fact that we made it fun. And I think that's because we were forced to live in a hotel room all year long for four months straight, whereas others could go home and get their, you know, get their support via other, other places. I do think that it seems like teams have more cohesion now than what I used to think they did. And maybe it's because I, I was young and didn't understand, but I do think like relays, think about it. Like the relay is the most important medal that you could win in an event. It just like, it speaks so, it speaks so largely about the depth and like the success of your team. And so I think as I see people getting more and more into these relay events, and I know that they were important because I remember watching like, the Olympics when I was really young and the, the relay events were important too. But um, I like to think that we're like, people are becoming more willing to be vulnerable. I don't know if it's social media or like what the heck it is, but I do think that there is more team cohesion than there used to be. All right. Well, um, we will, uh, Sadie, we'll, we'll let you uh, get back to much more important stuff than this. I don't know if you <laughs> want to put, put a plug in for your, uh, you know, accounting bookkeeping services or, whatever, but, uh, but we'll, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining us and, um, helping a lot of folks get their questions answered. Yeah. Well, you know, I've jumped full, full double feet into my new life. Um, I did my CPA exams last year and I'm now working as um, financial planner. And so I sometimes like, you know, I've gone through periods where I've stepped out of scheme, but I just keep getting pulled back in because it's just, it's just too entertaining. So it's nice to join the podcast with you too. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Sadie. Thanks a lot. Congratulations to the exams and keep on crushing it. You too, Devin. Thanks. <laughs> we'll try. Well, I'm getting crushed. So there is crushing happening. Well, hey, it's, like the, it's just like the giant transport truck running me over daily. <laughs> but, you know, isn't that life? Like everyone's out there getting crushed, just faking it till they're making it. And then totally. one day they're faking it so hard, all of a sudden they think they're making it. <laughs> Yeah, I probably will never be that, but like one day I'll just, it'll be over and that'll be that. And that'll probably feel good. I'll be so beat down that it'll be like, you know what? Lord, take me. Take me now. <laughs> I take me now. Exactly. But we really appreciate you jumping on, Sadie. Thanks so, thanks so much for helping answering some of these questions. Yeah. Thank you guys. All right. Talk to you later, alligators.
Yeah. Ciao. Um, all right. Well, we'll uh, we'll let we'll let Sadie get back to her uh, much more important work, and then uh, we've got got a couple of minutes here before it's bedtime. And in Norway, I know it's getting getting pretty late, and you probably got about four textbooks to crush through. But um, I don't know. What do you what What do people need to know? We've got it's about it's a little less than uh, wow a, a week and a half. I'm just thinking about all the the many miles that I have to travel in the, that period of time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, world championships, I think kicks off a week from Wednesday. Yeah, no, I think it's, I mean, I love world championships. I love every championship year because this is the crown jewel of the season and the world cup. Of course, we have got some great world cup competitions actually for the overall. So the world cup this year, they did change the scoring. We talked about that in previous episodes and it's kept it a lot tighter. And, you know, on the women's side, for example, in the overall world cup, you have like Tita Linusvang, you have Frida Carlson and Jesse Diggins, all in, and uh, Kirtu Niskanen, all in there competing for the overall World Cup, and they all have a chance to do it. And on the men's side, you have like the Battle of the Titans with like Paul Goldberg, who's putting together like a season like none other, but he's up against Claybo, who's breaking the record for most wins in an individual season. That said, like Paul's not so far back. So there's, there's an event there. But when it comes to the World Championships, each race, one day, who's the best on the day? I'm so looking forward to it. Some storylines for me, there have been zero skiathlons this season, yet it is a championship event. Don't get me started on that. It's outrageous. But I'm so excited because who is going to be the best 30K skier or 15K skier for women in the skiathlon? Because recall, while we have common distances on the World Cup, at the World Championships, it's traditional distances. So the women do a 30K, the men do a 50K for the long race. Uh, the women do a 15K in the skiathlon as per every other season, and the men do a 30K. So really, really interested with that. I'm also really interested with Claybo. I mean, can he? how many gold medals can he take? Is he finally going to get individual gold in a distance race? If he doesn't do it this year, so help me God. I mean, like he he should. And I think he could come away with a number of distance gold medals if he hits things properly. Uh, I think there's a lot of great stories. Jesse Diggins, you know, we talked about this, like skipping Lavinio coming in uh, to the last races that we've seen, especially Toblak, for example, firing in all cylinders. This is her opportunity, a great opportunity to finally get an individual gold medal and championship. And she's poised to do that. But the likes of Frida Carlson, who would stick after the tour and is a great championship skier, aside from Beijing last year where things fell apart. Uh, there, there's just so many storylines that I'm so keen to follow along. And I think, I think you agree with me, but like, there's just something special about like, it's one day and everybody wants it on the same day. And there can only be one winner. And there's a lot of big names and there's some surprises that can happen too. got people that are like coming undone people that are on the way up. I, I look like my dog is a good example in the sprint. I would think, I wouldn't be surprised if the Swedes sweep the sprint. That said, it's not like I can just give the gold medal to Sundling, even though I want to, because the way she skis, her technique, and how how she's been skiing lately. But like Ribom's had a great season, and Dahlquist is coming back online here after a slower start. So, but Shistad, the young Norwegian that won in France, going to be pretty exciting there. So that, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of storylines. I think people can can really look forward to it. And I mean. We guess we could go through a bit and like predict it. We could predict a little bit. Maybe we don't have to predict the whole podium, but we can some predictions, for example, the sprints. 
think I think Sundling is if Sundling doesn't win, I'll be surprised, and if Claybo doesn't win, I'll be surprised in the sprint. So, no, but I'm just kidding. We it, there's so many names we could go through, but it's uh, often it's the heavy hitters that come away with the most spoils. That said, there's always some great surprises at the championship. Well, and my, uh, I think another big looming question over this one, and, you know, maybe we get back to this uh, the day or two before everything starts and we get you and Harvey to, to come back and, and deliver, you know, actually put your, put your noses on the line a little bit. But um, I think one thing that is a big story this year is like, you know, Russia isn't there. And so, you know, the, I think the question about the relay uh, and, the, and the U.S. women's like a, ability to contend in the relay, I mean, that, that, that's a huge that's a huge thing. And, and same with like all of the, all of the individual races, both, both men's and women's, the fact that you don't have Russians there, like, I don't know, I I feel like in 10 years, no one is going to look back on these races and say, you know, this person was an asterisk world championship because the Russians weren't there, but it is something I think for people to talk about this year. And I also think it's cool, um, you know, just seeing, seeing racing happening, you know, we're not going to China again. And and I'm really looking forward to a, a championship event where there isn't like <laughs> crazy visa and COVID testing protocols, not to say that that stuff wasn't legitimate, but I think it'll be cool to be like in a new, what looks like a really spectacular kind of glorious uh, European venue where they're just like really thrilled to be having this event come. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think, I think it'll be great. I'm, I'm really excited to uh, be able to, you know, be, taping taping some podcasts with some some regularity on central european time also yeah that'll be nice for sure it'll be easier for us to get all on the same page and i'm really yeah like you said as far as the venue goes planets is a beautiful venue i think it's so cool that a country like slovenia is getting the world championships that yes maybe in cross-country skiing they do have a good history you know like petromidic you have um lamp pitch that make the switch over to biathlon but they have names that have competed at a high level but jumping man like we have we can't forget we don't talk about this ever but in jumping slovenia has an amazing history of like the biggest jumping stars they're not quite at the top level this season which is a bit too bad without that they have the the world championships but that said they have a rich history with jumping nor to combine maybe a little thinner on that side too but but um, beautiful venue. I'm really excited to see. I was. I don't know if you've been following. I'm, I'm just a sport dork. So the the Bathlon World Championships are happening as we speak in Oberhof. And first of all, Oberhof is a foggy East German disaster. They can't see. They can't see the targets right now. No, but what you can see is how crazy the fans are. Yeah. And after coming out of this COVID situation, and we're still in it, but they've just all the governments have given up. To see fans so stoked at venues at these big championships gives me goosebumps. And I hope that Planitza will be no different and we'll see huge fans, a huge fan base out to cheer on the best skiers in the world. So it'll be interesting. Like you said, with the asterisks, the Russians, like, I'm sorry, like in in the present day, it it is an asterisk. I mean, of course, when you have the the likes of Bolshunov, especially uh, one of the greatest skiers of his generation, no question. You saw what he did at at the, the Olympics not there i mean that is going to change those distance races in a big way especially the mass starts uh that said if claybo comes away with four gold medals you cannot put an asterisk to the fact that 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 he is one of the greatest skiers that ever lived uh and is well deserving of those those championship victories so it's uh it's an interesting time in in the in the world of sport but that said there'll be lots to cheer for and there'll be lots of great stories that I'm 
thrilled to follow along with. It'll be fun. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back. 